To this day, my wife and I have not yet sat down to talk about our experiences, to sit down and work through what those experiences have been. And that just goes to show it's really uncomfortable, even amongst two people who love each other and went through the same thing mm-hmm. and experienced the, the same thing at the same time. Welcome along to the Still Parents podcast. Thank you very much. If you're joining us live for this or listening back to it through your podcast provider, whenever that is, let us know. Drop us a message or just uh, give us a follow on our on our socials if you if you fancy doing that. Still Parents podcast on Instagram and Twitter X. Twitter. Well, which one are you calling it now? Because some people they don't know what to do. Do they? I still call it Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And our website stillparentspodcast.co.uk. The reason why we are here tonight, then, we have uh, we're continuing our conversation with Kelly Jean Philippe. The reason why he's not with us just yet is because he's <laughs> he's running late. Because it's the middle of the afternoon where where he is, isn't it? Is he having car trouble? Yeah, he's got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We all use that excuse. Car trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got car trouble. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, part, of part of the episode was, and um, we we floated the idea with Kelly was to get on one of our previous guests that we've also had in America. So we have got back on with us, who joined us for two episodes in May, is, uh, I'm actually going to get, I, I, I can get your name right this time. And you've absolutely screwed him over because you've got a mouthful of food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are you eating, Dave? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Some leftovers. leftovers. It's the middle of the day for me too. True, yeah. I just yeah. went for a swim, so, uh, I'm you know, for a swim. famished. Honestly, like, just he, uh, he's a great guy, and you were gone for a swim. The weather's good. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so, like yeah. yeah. Dan just went for a piss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so, just driven down the M6. <laughs> so, welcome back on, Mr. David Kashavarov. Da- Dan's oh, so proud. Of him. Every time he says that, yeah. he's so proud. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a strong... Well, you had three months to practice. <laughs> <laughs> strong name, though. This is true. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, uh, David, uh, obviously the links will be in the description for this if you're listening back to this through your podcast provider for two parts at the start and at the end of May this year. That is 2023 if you're listening in the future. David joined us from LA where he lives and works. But you actually um, quite, where are you? Nashville? Nashville, yeah. I'm on holiday. My wife's working, so I'm just traveling with her. Oh, nice. Taking advantage of, you know, exploring a new city. I've never been here. David and it was your wife, Barb, wasn't it? And when yes. you joined us, when David joined us on his second part, I believe it was, or it might have been, the, it was either the day, I think it was the day before or the day after you, it was the anniversary of the loss of uh, Valentine, wasn't it? Is that correct? Yeah, I think it was right before, yeah. I don't recall, or maybe right after. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was very much near the date. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Two great episodes, some really good feedback and some messages from that. Oh, in fact, here we are, look. Welcome, Kelly. Hey guys, sorry for oh, wow. the uh, fashionable entrance. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you can forgive him for anything with that voice guy. The voice comes in, he's like, whatever, it's fine. It's all good, man. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got the radio voice. That's it, yeah. So if you haven't listened to uh, either of the episodes with Kelly and with David, so three in total, like I said, the links are all in the uh, in the description. Kelly's was the, our, our most recent one, actually. Thank you very much for uh, joining us again, Kelly. I know you've been a bit of a mad rush to to get to us today, haven't you? Yes. I, uh, I had uh, tire issues that I needed to get fixed. I took the car very early this afternoon, my time to get the tires fixed, and um, I got a call back to go and pick up my car. I show up to the shop. 
I pay, you know, the ridiculous amount of money I was charged for just two tires. And I'm driving off and I check my tire pressure and the one tire that had that I had asked them to change, they did not change. Oh, you had one job. So I had to go right back and wait an extra half hour just for them to to change the tire. So that's why I'm late. Kelly, meet David. David, meet Kelly. I think, David, that hey, Kelly. Kelly's probably heard your episode. I think... Yeah, I actually listened to both of David's episodes uh, last week. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Kelly. Pleasure. Pleasure's all mine, David. If you are new to this show, Kelly also does his own podcast called Welcome to Fatherhood, which I've uh, I've been listening to a lot of over the last 10 years. I think I've got through uh, four four episodes, just about to start the fifth one, of oh, wow. a lot that you've had over the last uh, few years. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic. It's great that you're doing that. Sorry, Kelly, can I just... Uh, have you learned anything new? Have you doing it right, Dan? I've learned that I wish I had a better voice. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be, didn't there, somebody on radio over here, and I can't remember what radio station it was, and they called him the Love Doctor. Who was it? Do you remember? They used to do, like, the love songs on a Sunday evening. Oh, yeah, Graham Torrington. Graham Torrington. And, and he was the Love Doctor, and I tell you now, he had the deepest voice in the world, but he'd just yeah. pull you in. Yeah. Can you be called the Love Doctor when you're in your 50s, though? That's... <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was do you know what I mean yeah you're right I think I think that's when you start being called the love doctor there you go yeah <laughs> is that the name of the new film you're working on Dave <laughs> <laughs> now I'm wary that you may not have heard these guys episode before and I would like to just have a quick catch up with uh, a couple of things that these guys spoke about when they've joined us individually two very similar things each of you said so i came across you guys because i just went on google and i said okay podcast about men struggling with early pregnancy loss and then i saw the still parents podcast and i was like this is amazing and i was so excited but also frustrated and disappointed that all of the organizations that I found that care for or cater to men specifically or primarily or equally mm. are all overseas. Mm. Nothing in the United States, of the United States. There seems to be a bigger collective of, of people in England, apparently, but I, there's no real support group out here for men. Mm. And maybe this is a way to sort of get something going or Absolutely. at least have someone reach out that needs you know, that might want to talk about it in the States. You think there would be like, these resources I, out there? Yeah, I can't find anything that I, that I know of. So, um, David, that was your clip of talking about not being able to find any any support groups and, uh, and also with Kelly. You were stressing about how everything was overseas and you can't find anything back in your in your home country, which we all are amazed at in here because clearly, the, you know, the size of the country. So one of the reasons that we, we brought you on tonight was, was to meet each other and, and just kind of because you, you're situated in different parts of the country, miles and miles away, just about your experiences of, of finding support and sharing any frustrations. That, because the last thing you want to do when you're trying to deal with something so mentally taxing and, and such tragedy is to get frustrated about the lack of options available. So where do you go? What is your vision with it? So I'll start with you, Kelly, because you have uh, obviously the Miscarriage Dad and the Welcome to Fatherhood podcast. So you're probably, you know, you you are one of the people that David should really be finding. Yeah, I, that's the that's the goal that uh, I have for the Miscarriage Dad uh, platform. Um, yeah. 
to to be able to in fact i was thinking the other day that um not the other day but i have a uh my mind set on establishing an organization kind of similar to the lily may foundation mm-hmm. um here in the us specifically for men who have a difficulty dealing with miscarriages that's just like one part of it but also um to be able to provide tangible um material to men who are going into a space uh, to receive their child not knowing what could happen mm. um and and just kind of have trained people who will cater and take care of him so that he can better take care of his partner during that time i think just listening to a lot of the conversations that i've heard uh, from uh, your podcast is that the mother obviously gets the support because she is the obvious patient yeah. um and there may or may not be people there who acknowledge recognize the fact that dad is also experiencing this and has um his own set of challenges in dealing with whatever is is going on and it just sits very uncomfortably for me the fact that men will go through these experiences and the mother would get all of the support that she absolutely deserves yeah. and the guy just gets a pat on the back and says hey now you go ahead and make sure you keep supporting her. Do you think a lot of this has to do with um, dated stereotypes and things that we've mentioned before about the whole man up thing and the way that guys are, are perceived to be? And what is that like over there for you in where you live in your part of America compared to David where you live? And also, you know, well, I will address this because we mentioned it on your previous episode as well and the role that race might play in this. <clears throat> yeah, I, I absolutely think that... It has a lot to do with some of those outdated stereotypes. And I think I might have alluded to that in the previous Mm. uh, conversation that I had in that we're at a place in human history now where the conversation about masculinity is being um, had in ways that are both helpful, but also frustrating. And this is one of those areas where it's frustrating because the culture seems to have this sense of um, wanting men to, to, to be more in tune with, you know, emotions and uh, mental health and support and expressing and what have you. And then in these areas, those things don't seem, it doesn't seem like those things have reached yeah. those areas yet because the, the, the response, the practice is this pat on the back and, hey, man up, support your wife. Uh, I mean, I remember yeah, yeah. when my when my son was born, uh, my son Eden, he's seven months today. So seven months ago, I remember being in the hospital with my wife and the social worker came in uh, as we were getting ready to be discharged from the hospital. And this is with a living child, right? Yeah, yeah. And she gives my wife a packet of you know, that has all sorts of numbers and resources and information and so far and so forth. And as I'm carrying my baby, she just kind of looks at me and acknowledges, oh, the baby looks so beautiful. Congratulations, guys. And then she just walked out. 
Oh, right. Like there was there was no was like packet Patrick. of information for okay. for me. There yeah. was no resource for me. So yeah. if that's for a living child, imagine how much um, less of a consideration I think is had in times when you know a father is dealing with the loss of his baby, or as in my case, a miscarriage in that moment. Like, so what do we do? What do I do? How do I take care of myself so that I can also take care of my wife? Why do I have to be left to figure it out myself? But then my wife gets some sort of a compass, whether she uses it or not is a different question, but she at least has access to something that I have no access to. Yeah. Brilliant. Really, really interesting um, what you say there, Kelly, because to some extent, and I suppose you, you can sum it up in maybe a couple of ways firstly is it's the tail wagging the dog and the way that i say that and mean that is by sometimes behavior that we show as men or behavior which is um quite noticeable when we're put into situations such as miscarriage stillbirth neonatal death whatever that may be is because there is this stereotype where men have to be strong or rather there has been this stereotype where men have to be strong for their partner mm-hmm. um, and, and, and so forth, is that actually those medical professionals and those people that are viewing us as men think that we have it in hand, where actually, to some extent, I think we as men almost need to educate other men and give them permission to be mm-hmm. able to say... No, you don't need to be like that. Yeah. Because sometimes you have to, well, I say sometimes, you have to break the mold yeah. to be able to rebuild. Yeah. So if, if, if we break the mold in the respect of giving, it, it, sound, it, it sounds really bad, doesn't it, saying giving permission to somebody to, to be vulnerable, to show a vulnerability, to show a, an emotion, to show... Yeah, you're allowed. You're allowed yeah, to do it. You're allowed to do it, but... Ultimately, because of the stereotypes, well, yeah, exactly, and, and because of the way many yeah. specific have been stereotyped over the years, it's very difficult to be able to show that. And it will be different in different parts of the world, different parts of the same country, different cultures, different religions. It will yeah, all have, have a say in that. I think. Um, and, and I was just about to say, so yeah, to yeah, that, go, go for that, it. That's what. That's where I was interested. Yeah, I think, yeah. Well, I, no, I think I know where you're going with it. Yeah, no, go ahead. This is where I'm interested to sort of see, kind of David's kind of point because. Kelly's on the east coast of America. David's on the west coast of America. I know you're going to say geography by Matt. I get that, all right? But, like... But he, but, but, he does his own punchline. You know, I, I could see both of you, like... I know, because I read both of you. I we know need, exactly we need you a jingle going. for that. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, but I was just interested to see whether it differs yeah. in different parts because it is such a vast area and a vast country, like, you know? It's hard to say. I imagine it's the same. Yeah. I feel like collectively as, as, a, as a country, we, we all sort of have issues dealing with trauma. And obviously, I think around the world, people have issues dealing with the death of a child, the death of a baby, the miscarriage of a baby. We don't talk about these things and it's not expected. But I kind of wanted to go back to something that you were saying, Kelly, and I, and I had this experience in the hospital. And when our son died in the NICU and, and we were back in our hospital room and my wife's milk was coming in and we were just laying there. We were in pain. And this, this, this wonderful, um, this wonderful nurse came in. 
I had this feeling like she was the the ringer. Like they sent in like the nurse that knows mm-hmm. the one person that can like come in and, and deal with the situation. And mm-hmm. she was really sweet and really great. And she came in and she told my wife, like, you're still a mother. You are a mother to this child and you always will be. And I had this wonderful talk with us. And then, you know, like she left. And I mm. realized like months mm. later, mm. no one ever said to me, like, you're still a father. Mm. You're a father mm. to this child. Mm-hmm. And I like, I had gone through all this pain and I, I don't know what made me think of that moment in the hospital, but I was talking to my wife and I was like, you know what? Like, it's so hard because no one acknowledges like, you're right. And all that energy goes to the mother and, and, and rightfully so, but we're left in this sort of void where we are to be support, we are to be supportive, yeah. but not acknowledged. Yeah, and no one's acknowledging your pain. And do you know? Do you know what's alarming though about where when you were just saying that, um, David? Is I think yeah. every single one of us who was sat here knew exactly what you were going to say, and probably every single bloke that's listening to this will know exactly what you were going to say. So, yeah. It, yeah, it's almost like you can we. Yeah, we could have finished the sentence. We could have finished exactly sure. what you said because I hear it a lot from my individual clients that they sometimes don't feel like a father because, again, it hasn't. They haven't had the validated yeah. to some extent, and it's hard for them then to be able to accept that they are fathers and that they have got a yeah. child, even though that child's not with them. It's an ego thing, isn't it? Because you maybe think you've failed because you haven't been able to... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and isn't it crazy how it's, it's just something that, in the grand scheme of things, it is such a small piece of the jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? It's such a small piece. But ultimately, it can have one of the biggest effects on your grief. Before I forget, I don't know if anyone else noticed it, because obviously we're not taking anything away from the mother, no. from the female and the support, which is they need rightfully given and, and dealt with first. But then I notice we're almost apologetic about saying... What about us? Yeah. 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 And part of yeah. that conversation is going, well, no, hang on, because we are changing these attitudes. Kelly mentioned himself, helpful and, and frustrating. And, and one thing is that we, I guess that we need to be aware of to a degree is we, the speed of change. It's not going to... It's a cultural thing. It's not going to change quickly, is it? And expectations as well in living in the, the world, which is now more accessible thanks to social media, but a lot more fucking angry. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. To, to respond to that, Dan, I, I'm so glad that you, you, you voiced that because you're absolutely right. There's almost this sense of having to, it's almost like when people talk about their upbringing, mm. either with a therapist or with somebody else and you, you're acknowledging that, you know, your parents didn't hmm. handle the situation or a situation well that's impacted you now as an adult. But then you can't just say that because you also have to make sure to say, but, you know, I love and respect my parents. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're, 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 they're great people. And yeah. Just in the, case. Yeah. The, the acknowledging of one doesn't necessarily mean that your parents are not great people, that they didn't do their best, that, you know, they were Absolutely. trying to figure it out as well. It just means that while they were doing that in certain situations, they dropped the ball. Yeah. And I think this is, this is the, the same level of, of approach that I would want people to have to the, about this conversation is that in no way, shape or form am I through the miscarriage dad or any other, 
you know, initiative that I may do in the future am arguing the point that my wife should not have gotten the care, the attention, the, the medical uh, care and attention that, that she deserved. Because then that would be stupid, yeah, right? That would be absolutely stupid. What I'm saying is while she is getting that, which is duly noted, there's also this other party yeah. that's in the room, myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm also as invested, not just because I'm there, but that's my wife or my partner. That's my child. That is a piece of me mm. that has also Absolutely. died. Mm. And so while she is getting the support, how irrational it is mm. to have a lack of support for me as the other part of this equation. And the challenge is to get people or our culture, our society to view me as an integral part of that equation. Yeah. I think what Kelly's just said there is really interesting because I think that we talk about kind of generations quite a lot, don't we? And sort of how he's been different in the past. But how would your dad be like different? Do you think your dad's brilliant? Yeah, yeah. Um, it goes back to how baby loss was perceived in the past anyway. I've talked to people since I've been in this world where they they lost a baby, they didn't even meet their baby, and then the, the parents just had to get on with their lives. So you had to then break that mold, so that was done. Like The first thing we do is break the mold of trying to give more care to the mum. And then I, re- I, I truly believe that dad's just kind of accepted things and just almost had to accept things. Do you know what I mean? So I think now that we're coming into a generation now where we don't want to accept things and why should we accept things? And again, it's not, as Kelly said, it's not a case of being nasty about it or anything like this, but it is just a case of standing up for what you believe in, standing up for what's right. But it also comes back to the whole attitude towards baby loss anyway, in the sense of, we have to keep breaking the mold for the for the conversation around it anyway, you know, because it's real. It's here's, all real stuff. Here's a question for you two then, Ryan and Matt, because 13 years since Lily and seven since Callie, have you noticed or felt any change in that perception from when you lost to now? And I know it might be difficult to answer because you, you're involved in it with work, so... It's difficult to answer from the respect that the support we had was exceptional both for Amy and for me, and both as a a married couple. So if I looked at it in three three ways, it was exceptional on on all fronts. So I don't ever remember not being acknowledged when we were being told, when we were in a room, when there was the birth. I don't ever remember a time where I sort of sat back and thought, no, I haven't been acknowledged there or anything. So in that respect, Mm. our treatment, was was fantastic. Obviously, I've spoken to lots of people, yeah. and I've heard both sides of the story, and I've heard, I've seen both sides of the coin, where you know you have some people who aren't acknowledged at all. I actually, I, I remember one client actually using this with me because he was that angry and upset and felt so disappointed. Was he said, if my wife had have gone to the doctors or to the hospital and I wasn't around, all the questions would have been, well, where's the dad? Where's the 100%. dad? Where's the dad? Blah, wow, blah, blah. yeah. 
Hundred percent. So why? That's mad, isn't it? Why now we've lost the baby? Am I being completely forgotten about? And it's and it's all about. Uh, and I'll, I'll, obviously, I can't say names. It's all about mm. her. And actually, that open. I, I thought to myself, actually, do you know you've hit, you've hit bullseye because it's 100%. very one hundred percent true because it it is. I don't think in any way, shape, or form any medical professional does this on on purpose. I really don't. I don't think they do. One thing I have heard in the past is mums actually stand up and say, it's not just me, it is my husband, my partner as well, which is, again, shouldn't have to be doing that because it's just just human empathy, isn't it, that you're putting yourself in that position in the first place. But I have maybe seen a slight change. I wouldn't say it's a, a... I wouldn't say it's so big that it's... it's yeah, in, it, in the grand it, scheme of things, yeah. it's not that long, is it? Yeah. Whenever I have my individual clients and I tell them that we have a dad's and granddad's WhatsApp group, you see their ears prick up yes. and you see their eyes almost open that little bit more because you are subconsciously telling them and giving them permission to access support. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and I use the I use the saying quite a lot. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the one thing you can do is the advertisement and being able to validate men's experience and mm-hmm. giving them an opportunity to attend something. We had it with Ian Lawton right at the very beginning when we started the podcast and how he had to fight. He he called it his tribe, didn't he? How he had to find his tribe and he found his tribe. It's quite a selling point because we mentioned that particular moment yeah. a lot on this and show. It, and it's valid. Yeah. And you as a male feel that your feelings are being validated. Yeah. I reckon 99.9% of males are going to say, fucking hell, I'm going to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a space, isn't it? And it's safe and you don't need to, as David mentioned, you don't necessarily need to partake in it. But no. it's, it's whatever you need to, to, to get fr- from yeah. that, isn't there? Yeah. Even um, if you sit there saying nothing doesn't yeah, make yeah. any difference. No. It's safety in numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And it's safety in knowing that the people mm-hmm. that you're sat with yeah. are singing from that, from that same hymn sheet as you. Yeah. I'm going to ask uh, you two, Kelly and David, something that I remember asking Ryan. How approachable were you during those... You know, if someone wanted to come over and offer some support or some empathy, but, you know, when you just get a vibe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Did you want to talk, but maybe putting off an energy that suggested, leave me alone, or was it a different case? In, in my case, I, I did want to talk. I felt like I couldn't talk right. because my wife had asked that I not say anything about any of the times that she was pregnant. In the event that what we eventually went through happened uh, to protect her and her feelings about, you know, not having people come up to her face and asking her all sorts of of questions. Because my wife is a lot more Mm. private and reserved than than I am. And so is this really murky and muddled situation of how to navigate wanting to honor and protect your partner, but then also having a way of like a release valve yeah. in the event. Like, how do I then yeah. find this space for myself? There's a tightrope for you then, because you got to respect absolutely. The yeah, wow, absolutely. And I remember saying to her uh, around the last time that she was pregnant, I said, "Listen, you can't keep cutting off my avenues of release." Because this is several times that we've been through this experience and I haven't been able to talk 
to anybody about wow. it. And so I am dealing with this, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to support you through trial and error. And I think, unfortunately, the more we went through the experience, the, the better I got at knowing how to support her. And the unfortunate part, I mean, in terms of having yeah. gone through the miscarriage multiple times, but it, it I, I couldn't tolerate having yet another miscarriage and pretending as if everything was fine, particularly because of the setting that I work, which is a pediatric setting. And so I'm having to go yeah. back to work and I'm dealing with kids and parents and, you know, I'm supporting them in their moment of trauma. And so I am doing for somebody else something that I can't even seek an option to do for myself. And that was just really complicated to, to deal with. And thankfully, towards the end, she understood where I was coming from and she was willing to step into a, a space that was uncomfortable for her just so that I could have some way of escape. Kelly, yeah. Kelly, how long did that take you? Like, uh, obviously, this is these, you've had multiple miscarriages and, and births over the years. Like, how long did it take you to, to realize that and express that and come to an, like, some sort of understanding? It took us going through uh, particularly that, um, what, was, what is it, the, the third miscarriage that we went through, which is something that we, we experienced here at home. And that, to me is the most traumatic one because of the visual of seeing my wife as vulnerable as she was. And, you know, we talk about sort of the, the categories that define masculinity traditionally, and, and two of them are, you know, being the man, being the, the protector and the provider. And here I am in a situation where I couldn't protect my wife and there was nothing that I could provide. So I was at this moment of identity crisis. Mm. Who, like, what the hell am I good for? Just standing here watching her go through this unimaginable pain. And yes, I'm a witness to it, but I might as well be, you know, one of the toys that my son has on the floor. Like that's, that, I might as well be that useless. So going through that experience really ignited in me this, this awareness that if we go through something like that again, or God forbid we go through something worse than that, I'm just going to lose it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break. And we did have a, another miscarriage after that, which took another emotional toll. And that was just the, the tipping point, like, hey, I, I have to I have to be able to talk to somebody like I'm not going to project to the world what's going on, but I have to be able to talk to at least my sisters who I'm close with. Right. Like I need to just tell somebody so that in the event that things happen again, I can go to somebody while she builds her cocoon, which she normally does and you know, chooses whether or not she talks to her mom or whomever else that she has to talk to. I need to be able to process what I'm going through with somebody, even like we we're talking about, even if I just call someone and say, hey, this pregnancy that we were really excited about, here we are yet again and in this space. And to be able to just express that to somebody else that's not my wife was was huge. And I'm I'm thankful that she understood. Yeah. But then 
it got me to a point of reflecting about the other experiences. And I started to have feelings of, of anger towards my wife, but then those quickly resolved because of how complicated the situation is, right? I mean, I can only speak to, to miscarriage when it comes to having a miscarriage. And I can't even imagine what that's like when you have like a, a neonatal loss or a stillbirth or any of the other types of baby loss. It's so because of what I think she was dealing with in terms of her uh, point of view as a woman, you know, all of the things that the implications that that means to her as a woman. And I can't make my husband a father, you know, am I really a, a, a woman? Am I? And all of those things, I imagine she was thinking through and processing and wrestling through all of those things. And so I completely understood her reasons for not wanting me to broadcast that we were pregnant. On the other hand, the stigma around this very common event of miscarriage doesn't, it it didn't lend to an environment where I felt uh, supported, protected, uh, and able to even talk about it with my wife, let alone somebody else. To this day, my wife and I have not yet sat down to talk about our experiences. Oh, wow. Uh, peripherally, we've, we've mentioned it here and there. Mm-hmm. We have yet to talk about what it was like for her. She has yet to hear what it was like for me. Any wow. insight that my wife will gain for about what this, these experiences was like for me, it would be me sending her this episode the episode before or other times that I've had the conversation either on my uh, podcast or on somebody else's podcast. But between me and her, we have yet to sit down and work through what those experiences have been. And that just goes to show how complicated, how difficult a conversation is to have, but also just like it's, it's really uncomfortable even amongst two people who love each other and went through the same thing mm-hmm. and experienced the, the same thing at the same time. Have you talked to, it's Michelle, isn't it? Yeah. Have you and Michelle talked about not talking about it? Yes. We recently had this conversation okay. actually, and I said to her, we need to talk about it. And right. I, I understand her what she expressed to me when I brought that up to her was she acknowledged that we had yet to talk about it. And what she said is that I don't think I'm ready to have those conversations yet because I don't want to revisit the pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely valid. And, 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 and I, I can respect that. So we, we are holding that or I am holding that on the, on one hand, and on the other hand, I'm also holding the fact that it would be so helpful for me and I think and I know even for her to be able to to talk about it. And what's interesting is that when I launched the Miscarriage Dad platform, I have to this day, I have no clear direction for what I'm trying to do with the platform 
What I do know is that it is forcing me to process through my own experiences and to think about them in a way that I have yet to, to think about. And I don't know if I had mentioned this in the first episode that I was on, but recently, as recent as maybe like two months ago, one morning I couldn't sleep and my wife is asleep. My boys are asleep and I am wide awake. And it must've been like three o'clock in the morning. And I just sat up in bed and I had not been thinking about any of the miscarriages or anything like that. And all of a sudden the thought just popped up to mind, Kelly, you realize you had wanted to be a girl dad, mm-hmm. but you've just gotten a vasectomy and you and your wife have made the decision to no longer have children. So you're not going to ever be a girl dad. And then I started thinking about the one miscarriage that we had, uh, which was that, that really traumatic one. We yeah. ended up finding out the, the sex of the baby. And that would have been my baby girl. And so I just sat on, on my bed at three o'clock in the morning. And I just started crying because that was the first time. And this happened like two years ago. Yeah. Mm. And this is the first time in two years that I started grieving and mourning my yeah. baby girl. And the fact that I can't call myself a girl dad ever again. And here is one of those situations again, where I feel the need to say, I love my sons. I am glad that I'm a boy dad. Mm. Like, I, they are, whatever enough is, they are that and more. Because they are going to hear this in about 20 years and go, bloody hell, dad. Right, they're going to be like, what the hell, dad? (laughs) (laughs) Remember that thing you did 28 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but so, but I had to, this was the first time that I came face to face with a Kelly who I had been ignoring, the Kelly who wanted to be a girl dad. The Kelly wow, who yeah. wanted to have a daughter. And I stared at that Kelly in the face and I had to reckon with what that means for who I am now, what my life is now and, and everything else that I'm trying to do. Yeah. And, and, and in a life filled with loss, it's another loss. A yes. whole other loss that you're yeah. dealing with. Yeah. I think when you get into to baby loss, you realize how many different ways there are to lose things in your life. Yeah. Not only your child, but, you know, how you think about the future and how you think about yourself and your relationship and obviously the way you communicate and the state of your relationship with your wife or your partner. All those things change and they come into contention. Like, uh, what's what's going to slip away now? What's going to change? How is it going to change? Everything is so uncertain. Baby loss um, is like opening a Pandora's box. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't possibly fathom what, what comes after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, when you're, when you're pregnant and you're experiencing the pregnancy, you can't think about what bad things can happen. No. You just can't because you couldn't yeah. go through with it. Yes, 100%. But then when it does happen, you don't, like, yeah, you're right, it's a Pandora's box. You don't know what's going to come out of it. And, and yeah. a lot of it, and that's the thing, that's why we're all talking. It's like, yeah. you know, there's a, there's an avenue for women to talk about these things, but it's very difficult for men to talk about these things. And, you know, if I'd, I'd go back to what we were talking about, pain. And I, I don't know, I, I guess I have this different experience with pain in the sense of our, my loss with a Valentine and our loss of Valentine is that I, in the beginning, I very much attached myself to that pain because that pain was the thing that connected me to him. If I could go back and feel that pain, that meant I was close 
And I could go back to that experience. I could go back to the hospital and I could relive those nine hours that he was alive. I can, I can go through every moment of that Mm. and it it would feel awful, but it felt good because that was my memory. Mm. That was his whole life lived. And, And I still feel that way. I still feel like when my wife and I talk and we, we express a certain, she says something about, I'm like, what are you thinking about? I see she's sad and she'll say, you know, Valentine or, you know, and all of a sudden it like, it'll happen in an instant and I can relive the whole thing and feel this wave of pain and sadness, but also joy at the end of it. It's like when I went through our, when we went through our one year anniversary and we didn't know what to expect and it felt like getting hit by a truck and it was awful and it hurt so much, but it felt like something we had to do and, and really dive in. Like we dove in, we talked about it. We looked at pictures, we, Mm. with videos, we did everything we can sort of to to go back into it Mm. because it was, it's a connection for, for us. And for me, it still feels like that way. I, I don't think I could ever live without that pain mm. or, or give it up. Do you know what? It's like, yeah. if, if you're a smoker, you smoke because you're addicted to nicotine. Yeah. And because you like having that nicotine. It's, to some extent, very, very similar. It's an addiction yeah. to the memory that you had because you're trying to hold on to something because you don't want to forget it. As much as it hurts, you don't want to forget it because of the limited amount of time that you had at, at yeah. that time. You know, I always remember having, I reckon, I, I, in fact, I couldn't tell you how many hours we had with Lily, to be honest, because it was a complete and utter blur. Mm. But I can still remember nearly every single bit of it. And it gets easier. I can go back to it now. I can think about it. And it, it, it I've got no effect. It's not bothering me thinking about it but I completely hear where what sorry what David was saying there where you go back to that moment you go back to the moment and -hmm. it gets easier over time and and Mm -hmm. I always say to my clients the firsts are are the hardest ones inevitably Father's Days Christmases first anniversaries everything it's always in my opinion the hardest one and I still find it difficult coming up to Christmas I find Christmas very difficult Fortunately, you know, I've we've gone on and had other children, but I do still find Christmas very difficult. Yeah, you mentioned that before. Um, how do you break down getting easier? Do you know what? The, I, I, this is how I explain it to my clients. So 11 years ago, I snapped my ACL in my knee, right? Which was Nasty. bordering on quite possibly the worst pain I think I've ever felt. Football? Yep. And I had the operation. It got better. Still painful, but it got better. And now I walk around with a scar on my knee that you get to winter months where it gets a little bit cold, it gets a little bit damp, and I know I've had an operation and I know I've got early onset of arthritis and stuff like that. And I know it's there. But it doesn't bother me all the time. It just bothers me at little time, you know, different times. And I can still go out and I can still play football, not as good as I used to, but I can still go out and play, I can still go out and run, I can still go out and do everything that I normally do. But every now and then I get that little pain still there. It's with you. It's with you. And you just carry it around with you. And it's part of you. And the only thing with this scar is you can't see it because it's internalised. What a good answer. Bang on. I don't know if you guys have seen this. uh, One of my favourite movies is A Beautiful Mind. Oh. With uh, Russell Crowe. Yes. 
where he's playing the brilliant mathematician whose name I can't uh, recall right now. But over the years, I that movie has taken on, in terms of the symbols uh, and, and how the characters were used in that film, it's, it's helped me be able to convey a similar idea uh, to what Ryan just expressed about how pain, how one can, can coexist with pain, because that's the, the, the way that I see it. And so at the beginning of the movie, he starts to have all of these hallucinations that you as the viewer, if you're watching the movie for the first time, you, you don't know that they're hallucinations until a certain point. And no, once no you spoilers. see the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. Yeah. It's old nation have seen it by now, yeah. Yeah, go watch it. <laughs> David's going bloody hell. That's my industry. This is, yeah. David's Skip going, these I next, edited uh, Three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so over, over time, you realize that because he hasn't had uh, a, a yeah. developed a way to, to manage having these hallucinations, these characters completely dominate his life. And when it comes to, to pain, I feel like that is one of those phases that you absolutely have to, to go through because that pain is going to dominate yep. your life. I mean, it's going to dictate how you see people, how you relate to yourself, how you relate to other people, the things that you like, the things that you don't like. I mean, it just rearranges everything. And oftentimes it feels like you don't have a grasp on anything really because that pain is so in your face. It's so intense. But as the movie wears on, he gets to a point where he is now yeah. an older gentleman. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. His son is now graduating from, I think, a doctoral degree or something like that. And I remember the scene where he is fixing his son's bow tie or, or something after the, the graduation ceremony. And off to the distance are the four characters that have followed him the whole film. And he looks off and he sees them. And the son notices that his father is looking off into the distance. And, and the son says, are you OK, dad? And he comes back too, and mm. then the whole family gets a little edgy because they're like, oh, no, he's hallucinating again. Yeah. Is he about to go back into, you know, out of touch with reality? And he says something to the effect of, no, he's fine. Uh, he's just seeing some old friends or, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's, it has become so powerful a way to describe one's relationship over time with pain. I completely agree. It shapes who you are. You, you you can never live outside of the knowledge of that painful experience. It's, it's an amazing yeah. movie. It's, have you seen it? No, I, 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 the, I will. The bit Kelly's mentioning, I guess it's a more intelligent version of, you know, if you watch Star Wars and you get Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi as holograms <laughs> sitting on a tree. It's like that. But yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was just talking to a green alien again. <laughs> yeah. What Kelly said there is, is, is fascinating as well, though, because again, a lot of the time, and I'm, I'm sure Ryan's probably had this as well with with his clients it you have to get to know a different person after the loss yeah. you you know i've said it plenty of times on this but i had someone say to me very early on right it's time to get the old happy map back positive map back and i'm like mm. it will never come back completely yeah it, and and that, yeah. and that's if you think about that too much that's quite sad but actually i can only flip it and think yeah, it is sad, but actually 
I'm now part of something that I didn't think I'd ever be part of. Mm. It's, this sounds really weird to say, but because of Cali, I'm actually in quite a, a cool new club. I've met so many wonderful people because of it. I've met so many characters because of it. I can't, I can't look at Cali's death now in a negative way all the time because my life has literally changed because of her. I, I can't say any other way. You know, I've, I've, I've literally changed career because Callie was born. I'm doing a podcast because Callie was born. I've met, like I said, so many wonderful people. That's how I need to, to try and live my life. And, and look, don't get me wrong, this only comes with time. It only comes with time because at the start, you can't see that, right? You can't because all you want is your daughter back, in my case. But actually, the only thing you can do is say to people that actually over time, the new person that you get to know will be different, but actually it's quite a nice person to know as well. Yeah. And like I said, I can't, I can't help but be thankful for her, for her birth. And she was only on this earth for 27 minutes, right, alive. And she never got to live the life that she wanted to do. So I'll live a piece of my life for her. Mm-hmm. You're a good in that. Did you, did you feel like after your loss, and I, because I felt this way, but there's the person that you were, and then there's this new person. This path has diverged, mm. and you're sort of in between. I don't. I, I'm certainly not the person I was yesterday, but I don't know who I am anymore. Mm. And I think now that I'm a year and a half, just almost a year and a half out from our loss, I am starting to wrap my head around that. I guess what you're saying is this person, because I feel like a different person. There's parts of the old me here, and then there's this new person that I'm still learning about. And part of it is, you know, having these conversations, but, you know, I know other people might want the old person back. Mm. Um, and it's hard for them to see the new person because like you were saying before, all these scars are inside and they can't see what's going on inside of you, but you feel so different. Mm. Sometimes it's hard to express that uh, outwardly, you know. Would the, would the new you and the old you get on with each other? You know what? Right the, 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 new, the new me would, would look at the old me and go, flipping, oh, what an absolute shitbag you were. <laughs> yeah, the new. At times. <laughs> I'm sure, you know? I, I hope Amy's not listening because I don't know if you'd say there is a new me, yeah. but the new me would, yeah, absolutely look no. at the old me and, and the, say, you're a prick. Absolutely right. Yeah, I, love, <laughs> I, 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 love, I look back and I think, some of the shit that I did is like, wow. Amy says that to me all the time. I'm not even her husband. <laughs> and, 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 and again, age obviously yeah, does that as well. that's why I asked you. Yeah. Age does that as well. But yeah, man. It, I look at when I was in the States and I was 21 and I was like, and again, that's the other thing that really you can't get your head around. I was in the States working, coaching football. Yeah. And I was 21 and I was living my best life. And I was like, this is incredible. I'm in an... Well, is it early, early noughties then? Was it around 2000, No, yeah. it was 2006. Okay. The second year I was out there. Yeah. 10 years later, I lost a child. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? 
I mean, I'm out in the summer. I'm coaching. I'm I'm living everything that I want to do. I've gone out to this place because I want to go out there and, and just experience things and see what it's like. And and you know, I'm I'm in New York and things like this and all these places that I didn't think I'd ever go to. And then, literally ten years later. Yeah. Mm. If you'd said to me when yeah. I was 21, in 10 years' time, you're going to lose your first child, mm. I'd be like, what are you talking about? And, and that naivety yeah. and all of that, all of that naivety is stripped away as soon as you lose your child. I remember when I, was, when I was younger, and I think a lot of kids have, I just wanted to wish I had a, I wish I could predict the future and know what was going to happen. <laughs> the older I get, the less I want to know Absolutely. what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, it's probably the only reason I'm not that organised. I don't yeah. really I don't really want to know what I'm supposed to be doing tomorrow. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this yeah, has been well. such a, an amazing conversation. Yeah. It really has. I love as well that you two, David and Kelly, at one point just, yeah. um, that's kind of what I wanted in a way, just the fact that you two were just talking to each other. And because yeah. uh, obviously yeah. you've never, you've never met before and hopefully you will, you will remain in contact uh, as well. So, and, and please, yeah, I'd love that. Um, everyone subscribe to Kelly's podcast, Welcome to Fatherhood, and his wicked little picture on the logo, which we really like, and the, <laughs> yeah. the, the miscarriage dad on Instagram. Is there a social media page for the Welcome to Fatherhood podcast that you can let people know about, Kelly? Yeah, it's on uh, Instagram it's also, on Welcome yeah. to Fatherhood right, pod. I, I, I do want to take this opportunity, by the way, before before we wrap up for tonight, because obviously with um, with both of you being on, and, and David, uh, with your line of work, which if, uh, we haven't covered it too much tonight, but uh, film and television producer, and Kelly, as I'm sure you've noticed, has got the possibly the best voice I've ever heard. So <laughs> next time there's a role coming up and it needs, one of, you know, like... Yeah. Yeah, it's the, I miss the old school trailers. You don't get them anymore. They were, you know the one back in the day when every one, uh, every yeah, trailer used to start with? The summer. Yes! Now we oh, it Intimidating. Force on planet Earth. <laughs> Come to a theatre near you. Absolutely brilliant. You've there got, you go. Yeah. Kelly, Kelly, you've got the job. So, yeah, I'll see no, you. I'm watching that movie. <laughs> um, thank you very much, everyone, for watching if you have been watching live tonight or listening back to this three podcast provider whenever that is we would love to get you on if you would like to join us and as we always say it can be for a whole episode it can be for part of it it doesn't even have to be live if you'd prefer we can always record it and, and do it that way get in touch with us through our website stillparentspodcast.co.uk our Instagram stillparentspodcast David thank you very much for joining us again enjoy the rest thank of you, your uh, holiday while your wife's working hard over in Nashville there yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly, um, again, for, for joining us. We've loved having you both on every time that we've we've had you on. I'm, I'm so happy that you guys have been able to meet and we're looking forward to, to seeing more um, exposure and more outlets in the country that you live in. On that note, let's uh, wrap up this episode. We will be back very, very soon. This is the Still Parents Podcast. Thank you very much, everyone. Take care. Goodbye. See you guys. Bye.